passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, a book that goes into detail on every single pro wrestling event inside Japan's most famous stadium. We're past halfway on our journey through the uh, all the different years of wrestling in Tokyo Dome history. Um, and in this podcast, still, as we get past the halfway mark, we've still had a different guest on every single episode. Uh, this time, we're looking at the year 2004. And joining me from Voices of Wrestling Network's Wrestling Omakase podcast, it's John Carroll. Hello. Uh, very happy to be on here. Um, very happy to talk to you again after, you know, of course, I talked to you on my own podcast, which is one of our one of our better received episodes so uh very happy to be here yeah i think we wound up talking a little bit about 2004 on that podcast actually so um yeah everything everything should circle around neatly um john in the year 2004 what what were you up to were you watching a lot of japanese wrestling at the time so this is like really the the true beginning of my fandom which is one of the reasons why I volunteer for this year. Like I had started out buying like um, Japanese wrestling tapes at uh, Jersey off Pro wrestling shows, like late 2002. But like, as far as really following Japanese wrestling on the internet and like watching stuff as it came out, it's really like late Oh three, early Oh four that it starts. So yeah, this is like the, this is the very formative year basically of my, apparently lifelong uh pure fandom so fair enough fair enough yeah uh, what's your uh this is uh this is a standard question to every single one of my guests what what's your take on on japanese pop scene the japanese pop music scene in in 2004 <laughs> i was listening to the rich one and i was like you i might know the song Ooh. depending on who it is so that'll be you, interesting you, like i really loved um Shina Ringu around this time like that Uh she was my she was my big thing um i was probably also really into like Layark and seal and Uh, like i you know all the sandra weeaboo stuff so right (laughs) okay so we we might get somewhere if if i said that the number one single in 2004 was ken hirai's uh hitomi otojite 
2004 was the last year that the Japanese population increased. Mm. Ever since then, yeah, ever since then, aging population. Um, uh, we've we've all been gradually getting older and, and gradually dying off as as the Japanese nation. But yeah, 2004 was the last year the population actually actually increased. Uh, that new population uh, could play new video game consoles as uh, Sony's PlayStation Portable and Nintendo's DS both launched in late What side of that handheld fence were you on? Were they were they worldwide launches or when did they launch in America? Uh, I think DS was worldwide, maybe, but I think like PS PSP was like later, like in two thousand and five. Yeah, so uh, I I was a I was a spoiled child. I was not one of these people that like picked a side. So like with a lot of things with video games, um, I had both of these. So uh yeah. Although my PSP yeah. ended up being like a UMD machine more than anything. I think that's what it was called. Like I just <laughs> watched a lot of... Person. <laughs> you, know, the, you might be the world's only person who has had like to have bought UMDs in, at all in, any, in any capacity. But like, I, I, was, I was like the one guy buying, uh, buying UMD movies. Yeah. It was funny. I, I never had... I, like, I had a PSP and I didn't have a UMD movie for, for Donkey's years. And then like I wound up buying like predator like you know in a bargain bin just to have a, a movie on umd i think yeah um that was the only thing i ever i ever had, <laughs> ever had. um but yes I, i'm i'm fond of the, the psp because it was the first thing i think it was one of the first things that i bought in japan like after mm. i moved here was was a psp so yeah nostalgia it's very popular um, system in japan right the psp and the vita because like you go to, I remember walking into a store in Akihabara and being like just blown away by how large the Vita section was a couple of years ago. It's like you cannot find Vita with a searchlight here. Well, yeah, rel- relatively speaking, relatively speaking, yeah, that that's true. But then also like it's this is the land where like Xbox Ones sell like 50, 50 units a week or something <laughs> ridiculously small so yeah everything's everything's upside down but uh yeah i mean like those handhelds have have kind of all but disappeared by now you know oh, really? i think like i mean you most you see a lot of 3ds's about still um, oh so vita's yeah, even dead there huh? switch but uh yeah yeah i think i think it's it's kind of fallen away now but uh but anyway wrestling um wrestling. Three wrestling shows uh, hit the Tokyo Dome in 2004. Um, I would venture to say that two of them were good. Um, yeah, I'm assuming of, we're probably thinking the same one, same ones, yeah. I'm sure. 
Yeah, but uh, we started off the year with with Wrestling World 2004, which is um, one of like the real um, like hidden gems, I think, of like going through these these shows and, and watching everything. Um, 2004, you know, getting up, getting out of 2003, which was a very bleak year financially. You know, this was where um, New Japan's business like halved in the in the space of the year. Uh, it was when there was all sorts of like reshuffling happening behind the scenes and uh, trying to Inoki trying to install new presidents and everything else uh, to try and sort of keep heads above water. And, uh, you know, it, it was really it really felt like the business was in freefall. And you had as well these really ill-advised um, sort of clashes between you know, these mixes, these Nexus shows where it was like pro wrestling and then a few MMA matches and then pro wrestling again um, that, that felt extremely, extremely strange. Um, and that's why, um, you know, having watched those shows, especially when I was writing the book at the time, having watched those shows and being really bummed out by 2003, Wrestling World 2004 was like a sudden like shot in the arm and it felt like a really like upbeat and a predominantly like really a wrestling show, you know, it felt good to watch a, a pro wrestling show again, you know, and that, cause that's what wrestling world 2004 felt like to me. Although it still had that, like, um, that like sort of, it was like Enochism flavored wrestling, if that makes sense. Mm. Like it yeah. still had that very, like, um, the Enochism style, especially the, one of the two matches we watched specifically for this, especially, but both of them, I think to a degree. And like, if it, I think if you think about like the positives of Enochism, you'll probably think of um, these these type of matches. Not so much maybe um, <laughs> the other show we're going to wa- talk about, the other New Japan show we're going to talk about. But like the positives of the wrestling style, I think really came out in these two matches we watched. Um, the show being like this oasis in the middle of a down period. You know what it kind of reminded me of was. Um, like Spring Stampede '99 for WCW, where they <laughs> okay. put on this this inexplicably great show in the middle of like what otherwise was kind of a downward spiral for them. But yeah, hmm. it, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. You made the point of, of it being still Enochiest influenced, um, and you know that's that shows in the matches we chose because you know they they each involve um, you know very much Enochiest figures. Um, yeah, and. It, the the match I chose for for my part on this one was uh, Yuji Nagata and, and Kensuke Sasaki, um, which was extremely extremely bloody. <laughs> like, yeah, this is yeah this is something that's uh, that's that's a real shock to the system. Like if if you're watching like modern, especially modern New Japan, but I would almost say like modern like major wrestling at all like you know you're not used to seeing bloodbaths like this like happen but uh this is yeah this is one of the first ones i have memory of like um just seeing like the headlines after it happened on on a stew's own website pure resu fan like i just i just remember for some reason clicking on um pure resu fan i guess like the not long after it happened and just seeing like sasaki and God is like bloody faces, and it's I don't know, it's a very strong memory for me. Um, you know, yeah, and and just like the you know, where that that came from was you know, Sasaki having disappeared for a couple of years at this point, so like he left with Ricky Choshu effectively, 
Yeah, September September seventh, two thousand two. Yeah. Yeah, um, and had you know sort of spent that interim year with with Ricky Chus- Ricky Chosu in in uh, in his WJ promotion, um, and why Sasaki was back was uh, you know basically Sasaki and and Chosu had a massive massive falling out um, because you know WJ was like a, a disaster. Uh, it was losing a lot of money. Um, they had. Uh, Yo, Choshu for some reason thought it would be a good idea to um, book his own sort of K1 style event, <laughs> like you know, and and try and hop on to uh, you know this this whole New Japan versus K1 thing. So they they had a a bizarre like X, I think it was called X1, was the the bizarre kickboxing show they did. Um, and so, so the, you know they were losing money hand over fist, and Sasaki chose to help out. Uh, the company and help out Choshu with money from his own bank account, his own savings, you know, things that things that were going towards his family and and what have you. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you know, certainly if you listen to Saki, at least um, Sasaki would be like, "I'd like to have that money back now." And Choshu was like, "No." <laughs> so um, that that pretty much led to those two never speaking again. They, they, I don't think they've they've spoken since. Well, didn't um, they? They they had like one. Oh, little, they had one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They had a, a very very bad Wrestle One match. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, well, back to not talking. <laughs> back to not talking. Yeah. Since then, since then, yeah, they they they've kept very very far away from each other, despite both you know being kind of, I wouldn't say media darlings, but reasonably popular in 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 the media. You know, Choshu still pops up on on TV from time to time. Sasaki does a, an awful lot, but uh, they will never be on the on the same show or like, uh, you know, in the in the same in the same space ever. Um, but that led Sasaki to be like a freelancer in in two thousand four, and I think he he was like wrestler of the year that year. Yeah, he, he was won, like MVP. He, for, yep, he won MVP. Do you remember what they? Um, I I remember the MVP thing because I was a huge Dragon Gate fan at the time, and mm. Toriyaman Dragon Gate fan, I guess. And like, um, I remember when Sasaki won the MVP award. Um, Akila Akila Hokoto, she basically said. The turning point for Sasaki was when he went to Dragon Gate and became a Florida brother. So, <laughs> and that was that was what turned his whole career around. She said. His whole career around. Yeah, yeah. So I just remember that for the you know one of those memories I'll have. But yeah, this was this was interesting. This match because it was like it was Sasaki not just returning to New Japan but just emerging from anywhere because his last match before this was a like six minute eight man tag on december 7th in world japan so he kind of just went like radio silent for almost a month and then just Mm. appears here which is very yeah i wanted to ask you have you ever seen any world japan because i think that's Um, one promotion i've never seen a single second of yeah i might have seen very small glimpses of it i don't think i've ever sat down and watched a whole match let alone a whole show it's, it seems like on the internet you can find any you can find people um you know promoting almost any any old and abandoned wrestling promotion but i've never seen anyone be like hold up the world japan banner so yeah. i've always assumed it must be pretty terrible if there's like no uh, one on the internet saying it's great i, I don't know but i mean like you'd literally be seeing like nakajima when he was literally like 14 yeah um, or like a young tomohiro ishii as well um you know you know that stuff I, i'm sure there's there's good stuff in there what yeah. really made like this this match to me was um 
how both guys bleed pretty heavily and like one thing i say for for the eagle-eyed um you know i will have to say that red shoes uno became red hands uno uh, (laughs) if you're if you're keenly uh watching the the tape there but um yeah just like after the blood how much more intense both of them get um you know it's it's like literally both these 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 bulls seeing red and uh you know they're they're just like slapping each other and like roaring in these blows and like nagata goes down after that strike exchange and he's just in a you know it's no exaggeration to say he's in like a puddle of his own blood you know that, that he's lying in it's it's um extremely extremely visceral and um you know then you have like the visual at the end as well where you know nagata like wins with the the nagata they've rarely seen nagata lock three which is like the the, the rings of satin which um kensuke's like he'd like he he passes out to you rather than than submitting um but uh yeah just a, a very very intense match and like you can always rely on Kensuke Sasaki to bring like in, intensity more than anything else um, yeah. but I mean I guess that's that's just such a, a signature start to this this year where he did become MVP where like you know probably a good reason for that was like how versatile you saw him be through through t- 2004 in in all of these different companies you know where he could start the year like this and uh then later on he, he could be like a florida brother in- <laughs> uh, he had a cra- he had a crazy year um but yeah i don't one of my my favorite scene from this probably would be like when sasaki gives nagata a northern lights bomb and the referee is doing a standing 10 count but then he just like tosses the referee aside because he just wants to inflict more punishment i thought that was a really cool moment of this um, and before that, too, when Sasaki's like climbing the ropes as Yuji like lays there in a puddle of his own blood and the crowd is like just vociferously booing him. That was also really, like, a really cool image. But yeah, you know, by the end of it, when he's just like passing out in a puddle of his own blood, it's just like this is uh, <laughs> this is pretty extreme here. But yeah, yeah. it was a it was a great still a great. I mean, I remember this one pretty well, unlike the other match we're going to talk about, which honestly I didn't remember very well. But it pretty it held up to my memories. This is a really uh, brutal twelve minutes, but one I think worth watching if you've never seen it. Yeah. Um. So that that match you didn't remember very well was happened to be the the main event: Shinsuke Nakamura yeah. and uh, Yoshihiro Takeyama. Um. This being uh, Takeyama, I believe, was NWF champion. Sorry, yeah, NWF. I wrote I wrote down the whole scenario because it's really convoluted. So the NWF heavyweight title. It was an old, yes. this old like Buffalo Territory title that was connected yep. to Inoki. Um, yes. It was revived on January 4th, 2003. Takayama yep. beat uh, a guy by the name of Suyoshi Kosaka in the yes. in a tournament final. So yep. he, holds that t- he holds that title in all 2003. He wins the IWGP heavyweight title for Yuji Nagata on May 2nd. He yes. loses the IWGP title to Tenzan on November <laughs> 3rd. And he's defending yeah. both belts this entire time. Nakamura yeah. beats Tenzon for the IWGB title on December 9th. And then we get this yeah. unification bout on January 4th. So yeah. why, why they went in such a weird, like, convoluted, like, way instead of just having Takeyama defending both belts here, I don't really know. But, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is, like, New Japan in 2002, 2003, <laughs> 2004. Just, like, so many 
changes of plan you're just not not a consistent vision where probably like a lot of these individual visions made sense to at least somebody um but then like you know this this thing of of so many cooks in the kitchen and and every single time that a, a plan was made then the plan was changed um so i mean it was just you know and, and uh yeah I, I talked about this on the the 2003 show um with uh jonathan snowden but like the um just the idea of bringing back the nwf because that was you know that was going to be like their shooters title um and so you know like like you said they, they had this tournament um for the nwf title and and that kind of almost made sense so we're going to have like our shooters like mma style title for like the real fighters and then like yeah. the iwgp like more of a traditional pro wrestling kind of uh kind of championship but on january 4th 2003 you had that takiyama you know beating kosaka for, for the nwf belt um right before nagata and josh barnett had like a very very similar kind of match you know um and then takeyama wins the belt and then instantly holds it you know the the closing visual on that january 4th 2003 show is like takeyama standing off with nagata like and oh they're they're teasing like this this double title thing like immediately so um you know they they kind of they they'd thrown that toy away before they even had the chance to sort of take the wrapping paper off you know um and it was a similar thing you know i mean takeyama uh tenzan rather uh in that at one point you know he finally gets he finally sort of gets his uh you know gets his his spot where he can finally win the the iwgp championship but um you know he does that on a very very badly performing yokohama arena show which was you know, possibly you you can make a very solid argument that that wasn't Tenzan's fault, you know, and that might have been the fault of like, um, you know, more of like the the Nexus stuff and the uh, the sort of failed MMA matches in there. Um, and so yeah, he he has the belt for all of a month, and then um, Nakamura becomes the the youngest IWGP champion uh, ever, twenty three years and and nine months, and not. Uh, you know, and I, you know, we've said this in other episodes. Really, at this point, Shinsuke Nakamura, it's like a pro wrestler, isn't very good. You know, and and he would probably be have been the first person to to say that he wasn't. Um, but that said, you know, I think like this match with with Takeyama and everything that goes from here. You know, you know, Nakamura like really credits uh, his his stuff with with Takeyama for for teaching him so much about, about pro wrestling, um, and perhaps Takeyama was like the ideal teacher for for Nakamura as, as someone that that was kind of like in in both fields and and uh, able to to guide him through um, sort of kind of both roles, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I kind of felt that here, and certainly like. Takeyama had all of this match, um, much to like Nakamura's chagrin, because like Nakamura was was hurting, like he'd had the the piss beat now of him like four nights before in uh, K1 Max, and <laughs> then he was in this match with Takeyama getting just absolutely rocked for for most of it. Yeah, um, you know it begins with Shinsuke like running in and taking him down, which I thought was really cool, and he goes to like an ankle hold right away, which he briefly gets before Takeyama makes the ropes, but then after that, like you said, it's just. Uh, Takeyama beating the shit out of him. 
Um, It actually kind of bored me early on. I didn't really think Takayama's initial part of the heat segment was really that interesting. But once Nakamura like gets back up and they start trading blows and then Takayama like goes from just kind of beating him down to just absolutely beating the crap out of him with like kicks and punches, that's where it gets really good. And, you know, it was actually became, and like I said, I didn't remember this one that well. It became better than I remember from then on. Um, I also found it interesting at one point when he shot in, Nakamura shoots in for like a takedown and takes a knee to the, right to the chest from Takayama. Mm. I was wondering if that was like a callback to how he took a knee to the chin um, in that shoot fight you just talked about from Alexei uh, Ignashov in K1. Because it was almost the same scenario except for the fact that, you know, he didn't he got it in the chest instead of the chin. So yeah, I, I, I wonder if they did that on purpose. I mean, they certainly did it on purpose many years later in that um, Nakamura Sakuraba, yeah, yeah, where he like shoots in and Sakuraba just catches him with that knee right to the chin. Still one of my favorite, yeah, yeah, favorite spots. Um, but yeah, this and then the finish was like with Takayama going for he gets his Everest German. Nakamura like kicks out immediately at one and then locks the Kimura in for the submission, which. Um, I thought it was a really cool finish and just a, you know, this was a really fun match by the end of it. And again, like to me, if I'm, if I'm looking at the Enochiest style of wrestling with like the most rose colored glasses and what I really like about it, um, I almost think this match is like kind of the platonic ideal of that because it is a lot of way. Yeah. I, I think it, it very much goes along with like the, the, Inoka's vision of pro wrestling of a pro wrestler as somebody that that gets that keeps on get that keeps on standing up that keeps on getting beaten down but like keeps on standing up and so like it's it's the story of like Nakamura like staying retaining some form of like consciousness with within this this fight and then you know ultimately being um you know perhaps smart enough to to get that hold in at the end um but uh yeah as it happens like nakamura doesn't stay champion for for very long actually has to to vacate that belt with with uh all of the injuries that he was doing and mm-hmm. also to to undergo another sort of heavy learning excursion like he goes away to to la for for a good deal uh at this point and i would imagine that it was probably you know around here that um you know nakamura goes goes over to the west and that's that's where he does hook up with with more like you know, more of the guys like like Brian Daniels and like Samoa Joe and, and everybody that was in the LA Dojo at the time. So which was probably uh, very beneficial for for Shinsuke, you know, and like you see him grow so much over the course of this year, you know, because like January, you know, from January 4th, 2004 to January 4th, 2005, which was like the first um, Tanahashi match. Like you, you really see like a lot of progression in in Shinsuke Nakamura. I think. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the injuries, so I, my girlfriend was sitting here watching the match with me, and like she didn't know anything about the the eye injury, but like when they zoomed in on him, she noticed it immediately. She was like, "What the hell is wrong with his eyes? Like filling with blood." And I was like, "Yep, yeah, well, that's what happens when he gets kneed in the face <laughs> by like five days earlier." But yeah, I mean, like you can definitely see, like you're saying, his his growth year over year. And, um, you know, he definitely would become a much better wrestler over the course of the year. But, um, of course they decided the best thing they were to do next was lose to Bob Saf, which I don't know if that's what I, what I would have done, but <laughs> sure, I guess. Well, yeah. So, I mean, like after it gets vacated, it goes like around the houses a little bit, eventually it winds up with Bob Sapp, which I mean, 
a couple of episodes ago, like we we talked about like Bob Sapp's debut um, back at the Spiral, where it's like Bob Sapp and and Manabe Nakanishi, yeah. which is um, honestly for for what it is, it's a really good little match. Um, yeah. And you know, so I mean, I think two episodes, me and Lee were, were Lee Daly were, were talking about how how fun this thing was and how much charisma Bob Sapp had you know and, and how incredibly over you you know he was it was you know, he was a phenomenon uh at the time um so it was it was this thing of like but well bob sab has has an upside and he certainly can be you know in the in the right situations he he can be decent enough in the ring um but it was just i you know i think they it was just conceptually flawed from from the get-go in terms of like how expensive bob sap was and then how expensive he he was for like gains that new japan weren't seeing um you know i mean like the every, every gain that bob sap made was was more of a gain for for k1 or more of a gain for pride than it ever was for new japan <laughs> um and you even saw that with the the iwgp title you know and like bob sap was iwgp champion and all that became was like set dressing for like a, a fight between Sap and, and Fujita later later in the year in 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 Pride in Pride I think in Pride or K one uh, one or the other um, and so like the idea of GP title was it was just like a, a trinket on that which is why like Bob Sap again like vacates vacates that title uh, you know it gets vacated for the second time in a year later on in in two thousand four. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Sapin and Nakamura, which uh, is significant for uh, Shinsuke Nakamura debuting um, his subconscious entrance music. Mm. So there you go. May 3rd, 2004, the next show we're going to talk about. Although we didn't watch that match, but... Um, no no it's a hard, fact, it's a hard show to find <laughs> lots of clips lots of clips clip matches around and and uh yeah it's, it's a hard thing to find mainly because like yeah i don't think pe- many people want to share very much of it yeah. um but this was yeah that the i remember the the cover of weekly pro wrestling um for after that show um says like tachigare pro wrestler which is just like mm-hmm stand up pro wrestling come on you know it's like this theme of like pro wrestling the entire medium being ground into the dust you know yeah um not a, it, not a happy time <laughs> no sir no not at all um and you know we were you got in touch with me as like you say is there anything that, that we can really sort of uh home in on you know and i i have seen like uh you know sap and nakamura but i, I thought for for shits and giggles i i thought how about hiroshi tanahashi of new japan versus now representing k1 <laughs> representing k1 mind you sean yeah. it's like you you showed me like a minute clip of it but like even in that minute it's like wow i can really it really looks like sean o'hare is representing k1 here Wearing his wrestling tights and doing a swanton bomb. <laughs> Who was this guy? He, I think he was he was zero two, right? I think so. Yeah, he, he didn't have a very good or zero four, so he didn't have a good anime career. He should have done uh, more swanton bombs. Yeah, <laughs> he really should have. It's what kind places? Yeah, no, that there really isn't uh, much to speak of in in this match, but uh, also I, they, cut, they cut your Noki looking really unhappy for some reason. 
<laughs> like that that was in the clip I saw too after Tanahashi got the dragon sleeper. I don't know. Noki, I always got the vibe really did not like Hiroshi Tanahashi. But well, Hiroshi Tanahashi is a he's a mutarist. So yeah. that's probably where that that comes from. You know, I mean like Antonio Noki really didn't get along philosophically with with Keiji Muto. Yeah. Um so yeah, that it it's quite possible that that uh you know that that opinion stayed. You know, uh here's like Hiroshi Tanahashi kind of in a little bit of a void, I guess, you know, where it was like things seem to be happening to to him, things seem to be happening for him and then and then not. You know, he had that that King of the Hills tag team with Kenzo Suzuki and then Kenzo Suzuki disappears. Um he gets uh, stabbed and nearly dies in 2002. Yeah. Um, and that sort of, in a way, kind of helped him or helped the company, you know, because suddenly he was, uh, you know, he was uh, legitimate and sort of mainstream news, news fodder. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really, this, this must have seemed pretty depressing, a pretty depressing time to be Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, but, you know, it, it all goes through, you know, by the end of the year, of course, Shinsuke Nakamura, when, when he comes back, like Tanahashi and Nakamura form a tag team and uh, things really snowball from there, you know, and, and he really takes off in, in 2005. This, this year is the, this is the year of the Tanahashi Vegeta match too, right? I think. Mm. It's 04, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is a match I always remember really, really well um, as probably the best thing Vegeta ever did. And, um, you know, just a, a, a fantastic match, but also like, it always felt to me like a match where it's like, okay, here's this fake pro wrestler and he's going to get kneed in the head until he can't continue because the real fighters here. It's like mm. such, a, such a contrast, but yeah. um, I imagine it must've been, it must've been depressing to sit through if you were a big Tanahashi fan in 2004, but looking back on it, it's a fun match to watch. So Right, yeah, Fujita's like such an awesome, like cocky fucker. And <laughs> yeah, you like you always want to see him get his ass kicked, and he never really does in New yeah. Japan. Anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, we also uh, plucked out from this Ken Shamrock versus Josh Barnett. Oh, thank God! But <laughs> I mean, the dome looks like less than full here. I have to say that was my first big observation. Um, yeah. How weird is it too? This is the last match in New Japan for both guys. It's really strange. Yeah, it's especially because like they they have this match, not really very much happens in it. It of of note, really. You know, I think um, Barnett wins it, and then they kind of like go. You know, Ken Shamrock gets on the mic afterwards, and then he's like. I only lost because like we we have all these rules in the way, yeah. and so like you know they they wind up setting up like this thing where like Ken Shaman goes I, if we didn't have a referee or any rules like I beat the shit out of you, like Josh Barnett then goes ah, I know what you're talking about like it's a very sort of WWF style yeah. you know I I know you're talking about this this gimmick match that I just made up and like Josh Man I think like calls Ken Shamrock out for a Hanoi death match yeah um <laughs> it's it's never explained what a Hanoi death match is they never have a Hanoi death match yeah just never much appear this more, like Josh Barnett never wrestles again like anywhere yeah. Can I just say how weird it is to have Shamrock act like he's this shooter that doesn't know 
rope breaks are a thing after you spent like three years in the <laughs> WWF. It's just a really weird like uh, setup there. I don't know the match itself. I've seen. I actually really enjoy a lot of like shoot style stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I love battle arts for instance, but like this was just like bad shoot style. Um, like the stuff on the mat looked okay, but like the striking, like if you're gonna do the the shoot style striking, you gotta like hit each other a little bit. I'm sorry, like they were not because they were so obviously trying not to really hit each other at all that the, the striking scenes to me looked almost pretty embarrassing. Um, I don't know. I just I've seen so many better uh, shoot style matches for work striking where it looked a lot better than this. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal was that they were just like, maybe they already had one foot out the door and they were, they knew they were going to go fight and they didn't want to hurt each other. But like, I just looked really bad. The, like these, some of these punches and kicks. Um, but yeah, I mean like the only thing that really got any reaction from the crowd were like takedowns and suplexes because it's probably what New Japan fans wanted to see were some wrestling moves, not sure. <laughs> not like bad yeah. work work striking. So not a very good match. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, not a very good match. Not a very good show, really. Like uh top top to bottom. And uh, it was very sort of widely widely panned um in the press. And you know, I think one of these you know, as you, as you said, um, John, like it, it was fairly sparse in, inside the, the Tokyo Dome. Um, they wound up taking the rest of the year off from the Dome. And when they come back in 2005, they have, this is like, you know, 2005 is the, is the real nadir of, of, the, of the business. Like it, it's, they, they sort of bottom out at that, at that point. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, New Japan is, is really, uh, approaching their their lowest point in in terms of their their financial history at the same time the pro wrestling noah was approaching their highest point um, in their history so it's like here's you know where you know for the for the first time in 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 pretty much forever um like new japan isn't the biggest pro wrestling company in japan you know uh noah is for for a brief period and um you know that's that's what sets up that's what sets the scene for for departure being um just a, a real sort of change of change of pace here uh to see uh, so much uh optimism around the the green brand at the time yeah i mean this is this is a show again i remember extremely well um just being like a really big deal on the on the internet at the time and like this is right in the middle of what to me is the not just a peak of Noah, but like one of my favorite periods of any wrestling promotion. When you have the the champions lineup right now, we have Kobashi as GHC Heavyweight Champion, Misawa Nogawa as GHC Heavyweight Tag Champions, and Marafuji and Kenta as Junior Tag Champions. I mean, those are three of my favorite title reigns ever that are all happening simultaneously. I mean, like that, that to me is like probably the best roster of champions there's ever been at one time. So, so the peak of the company. Yep, and uh, we chose a, a couple of those title matches to to go with here, and um, you know I think it's it's worked out timing wise quite well because um, you know, we just had the uh, Marafuji twentieth anniversary show to to date this episode when we were recording it that that happened a, a week ago um, with uh, you know Marafuji and well was was Kenta now Hideo Itami um inside Ryogoku. and so i wanted to take a look at the the Maru, the maruken uh tag team 
here as, as Marufuji and, and Kenta take on um, Sugiura and Kendo Kashin. So it's, it's very easy for it's uh, for sort of recent fans and followers of like uh, of Noah to, you know, it, it's kind of hard to imagine that the, the big tank of um, Sugiura, who is the GHC heavyweight champion now, um, was at one point a junior heavyweight where yep. even though like size wise, about the same. <laughs> yeah. He was a little bit less muscular, but other than that, like, yeah. I mean, he was always a big junior. So, yeah, um, yeah. man, this, this Marikenta reign, I, I, there's a strong argument this is the best tag team reign of all time. I mean, mm-hmm. they reigned as tag, junior tag team champions for almost two years. Um, you know, they beat Liger and Murahama to become the first champions July 16th, uh, 2003 in Osaka. So here they're about six days away from their one year anniversary of the belts. And they would go on to hold, hold them all the way till June 5th, 2005. Um, the weird thing is though, they don't have any successful defenses in 05. Um, like their last successful defense was against Juventu Guerrera and Mr. Aguila and AAA on December 18th. And their last successful defense in Japan was October 22nd against Ricky Marvin and Suwa in a, Really like legendary match, but um, yeah, it's, it's just a weird little note that they went like from October to June without defending the belts in Japan. But I, even even with that caveat, though, it's still I think one of the greatest um, tag team title reigns of all time. It just felt like at the time, you know, and especially in that 03 through 04 peak, where they were just like, you know, it was like every three months, it was like, okay, what? Who are they facing now? And you know, it's going to be another classic match. So. Mm. I, I remember I, for some reason I you know can stick out in my mind is like because Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas were like calling themselves I guess the world's greatest tag team in WWE at the time and I just remember this headline from I, who they who even knows what site it was now but it was like Marafuji and Kenta the real world's greatest tag team but that's always stuck with me for some reason yeah um and just it's 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 such a, a a radical departure from like you know watching the the especially i think the the nexus 6 or stuff where it's kind of a scant crowd a very light crowd sort of lightly applauding and murmuring throughout the match as as opposed to just how much uh, energy and you know that that there is in the crowd when whenever uh, Marafuji and, and Kenta are in the ring, and like how much as well like the the just from an audible standpoint, you know how much you can tell like that there was a more diverse audience in there at, at the time. You know, a younger audience, uh, perhaps a more female um, centric audience uh, at the time. You know, there there was an interview. You know, and it was a quote that I pulled for for the book where. Um, when the NOAA officials were saying, well, like in New Japan, you know, this was you know, speaking in 2004. Yeah. If, if, uh, if a woman goes see a New Japan show, it's because their boyfriend's making them, you know, whereas like in, in with NOAA, we, we have female fans. It's hilarious because you think of New Japan now, it's like, exactly. you, know, I, I, you know, I went to those shows. It was like half the half the crowd is female. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know that's something that that they've done so so well. So you know, and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting lesson to 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 learn from at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, what did you think of the combination of of Sukihara and Kendo Kashin? So I've I've always had a I know Kendo Kashin is not the most popular guy historically. I've always had a weird soft spot for him. 
I don't know what it is, but like some combination of his weird, like, um, I don't know how to put this, like mental <laughs> instability and mm. his like shooter gimmick. It's always been in like a really sweet spot for me as far as liking him. Um, I was probably the only person in the building for best of the American super juniors in Asbury park, New Jersey, where Kendall Kashim was wrestling as dragon soldier B. I was probably the only person there who a knew who he was and B <laughs> like was actually kind of happy when he won. Like the rest of the building leaned, everyone was super angry, but yeah, I don't know. I always liked him. I thought he was hilarious here as like, um, you know, just, just a complete weirdo. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's a thing really early on where he just like will not let Sugara tag out to him without yeah. like stomping Kenta more and more, which was really fucking funny. And then you know Kenta or, or Sugara does like that gut wrench suplex uh, off the apron to the floor of Marafuji, and Marafuji's about to get counted out and give them. You know, for people don't know in Japan, you know, you can win a title on count out, and it's about to get to the twenty count. He tosses Marafuji back in. To show his sportsmanship, and Shigera is really unhappy about this. Um, and then again, towards the end, there's Shigera like accidentally spears Kendo Kashim when Kendo holds Marafuji. So then, when Shigera holds Marafuji, um, Marafuji gets out of the way more than enough time for Kendo to stop, and he does stop, but then he just slaps Shigera in the face anyway. So, yes, yeah, great, great. I- there's the bit like even at the start of this match where like Kashin doesn't come out, Sugiro has to go and get him, and like they they come out in like a, a Gracie train with like his corner men who it seems that they're just people from his local gym, like his local house. <laughs> <laughs> and then like so there's a part where earlier on where like uh Kashin like throws Kenta to the floor and he orders like these two guys to beat Kenta up and they're like we can't do anything here. <laughs> Yeah, we're not wrestlers, so we don't know yeah. what to do. Um, but yeah, and then the the greatest moment of the match though is Kendo Kashin. After he had been so honorable with the throwing magic for you back in, he ducks the entire Kenta combo, and then he just punts Kenta right in the balls. Right in the balls, like, yeah, I, yeah. I almost like I was cracking up, and, and then he goes down too, holding holding his own crotch, so the ref doesn't know who kicked who. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. I thought Kendo Kashin was awesome here, I, I, but I always loved him so. Yeah. yeah, I'm very biased. Um, yeah, I, I'm a fan of like the the Marafuji sent on before before the finish. You know, when when he gets like the the big shonui, uh off the top on on Sugiro, like it's it's a ridiculous sent on that, that he gets off the top rope, almost to the point where like, yo, was Marafuji thinking of doing a shooting star press and then just didn't rotate? Yeah, that's what, thought, that's what I thought he was going for. And he jumped. It was. It was really weird, but it's yeah. It kind of like you know, it, it's something that you wouldn't expect someone as as reasonably smooth as as Marufuji to do. You know, it's something you'd expect to see from like Hiromi Takahashi now. Like just, yeah. like, I'm just gonna hurl my body at you kind of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But it worked. Then, it looked brutal, but like yeah. And there's a and there's like just a really ridiculous finishing stretch, especially with that like. That sure and I counter into the tombstone by Sugara is always one of, always one of one of my favorite spots. Um, but then you know they just kind of Marafuji basically just keeps coming and coming until he gets that top rope sure and I. Um, in a way, I almost wish like more. I talked about this on my own show when we did like an early Noah episode, but I wish there were more New Japan finishing stretches that ended 
with one guy just like totally being the other instead of the the way like it fe- feels like every new japan stretch you know has to have the back and forth trading moves and counter stuff and mm-hmm. in a lot of ways i almost prefer the noah th- style where like one guy just hits like four straight moves and you know the other guy gets to show how tough he is by kicking out but like right. you know there's no like counters it's just like you know you're you're losing so you're just gonna take all these moves and then lose um i almost wish we'd get that as a change of pace in new japan but in yeah, current that, new japan, I mean. yeah and that's that's still it's still the thing right new japan new japan is about offense and old japan or no is about defense right yeah so, um yeah i think that's that's how it's usually described. But um, yeah, the, the other match we chose uh, was the main event here. Um, Jin Akiyama and Kenta Kobashi. One of the best matches of all time, I think. Mm. Not, very high up there. Um, I don't know. This was, again, er, an early memory for me because like this was like the match in 2004 on the internet at the time. Like Even before they announced it officially... Once the the Tokyo Dome was announced, like everyone knew this was going to be the match, you know, it was just kind of the same way everybody I think kind of knew um, we were getting Okada Naito last year before that was even a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody just knew that this was the this was the only match they could do. You know, they hadn't wrestled a singles match in almost four years, so it was just it just was very obvious. Um, everybody kind of knew it was happening, couldn't wait. So with the with the amount of hype it had online at the time, the fact that it still lived up to that hype is really impressive. Um, you know, I don't remember anyone being like, oh, yeah, that sucked. But um, the other thing, too, I remember, though, is everyone thought June was winning. Like, mm-hmm. it really was not even a question, actually. Like, everybody thought June Nakamura was winning this. So when Kobashi won, it was pretty stunning. Um, and I think there is a strong argument to ma- be made June should have won this, but, you know, I mean, I get why, you know, if people disagree with that because Kobashi did go on to have another, like, almost a year with this belt, and it was a legendary reign, but, like, I don't know, felt like Akiyama never really recovered from losing this match um, in a way that some people might say another a guy just lost the Tokyo Dome this year might never recover, but hopefully, mm. <laughs> hopefully not. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like he, the way he lost here, you know, it, it felt like he never reached that level again. And obviously the guy that they had Kobashi lose the title to, um, Takashi Rikio, that really did not work out at all. So, um, yeah, right. Um, yeah, there's yeah, there's there's a lot to to sort of go into it and and break down if you want to here. You know, I, I like the the dynamic earlier on where like Akiyama, Akiyama clearly can out wrestle Kabashi, but like Kabashi yeah. can clearly outstrike Akiyama. You know, and, and like that's a that's kind of a theme that they play with at a lot at, at different points. Um, but uh, yeah, like Kabashi clearly from from the start, like Kabashi wants wants everything to be in the ring. But like um, you know, that there's a part uh, you know at certain points where um, you know you you get the the Akiyama need the, the knee drop on the apron, the DDT on the apron, and then like they they can't get back in the ring afterwards. Um, some horrible <laughs> lumps being taken here, like the exploder from the second rope to the floor, and the, and the regular suplex from the from the apron to the yeah. floor too. Like those two are both like just crazy. 
Um, like either one of them should have been enough, honestly. The fact that they did both in one match is like, um, you know, that suplex. There's a standard front suplex when they open the floor, it looks nasty. And then, they, yeah, they explode and it just looks like almost kills them. I mean, the one thing that stood out from the early part of the match was, um, that forearm versus chop exchange or elbow versus chop exchange that Kobashi wins. And like one guy in commentary just yells out strong pro wrestling in English, which I mm. thought was really funny. But yeah, and like I really like the whole sequence too, where Kobashi has the sleeper on June, and June like keeps trying to like backdrop his way out, and then finally just gets dumped on his head with the sleeper suplex. I felt I feel like that was a sequence mm-hmm. um, that people would try to rip off a lot afterwards, mm. but it became a very like I feel like I've seen that exact um, sleeper and backdrop out sleeper backdrop out sequence like a right, million right. times since then it both in japanese wrestling and like in the american indies and stuff but um and i i really like how often akiyama goes back to the front neck lock in this match because it's a great callback to how he beat kobashi at at the end of 2000 or not end of 2000 the original 2000 match in um you know the the second ever noah main event so i like i like how he goes back to that front neck lock over and over again because, you know, it's just, it feels like a really cool little callback. And then there's that really famous um, suplex no-sell spot towards the end where, like, they're they're both giving, like, Akiyama's using the Exploder and Kobashi is using, I, I guess, the half Nelson. Yeah. And they go back and forth and back and forth. Mm. And, like, the crowd is going insane the entire time. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, the, the other way, if anyone ever doubts how much I loved Jun Akiyama at the time, I had an e-wrestler. Um, I don't know if you know what that is, but like a fancy wrestling thing. And pretty much his entire moveset was just variations on the Exploder Suplex. <laughs> there was such a mark for Akiyama at the time. But yeah, I love, I love the Exploder. I still, I mean, I still do. It's a great move, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got, I mean, like that, those sort of suplex exchanges and like to bring it back to, to Junior Akiyama in, in the Tokyo Dome as well. Like, you know, kind of it's reminiscent of like him and Hase doing that, those yeah. as well with like the explosives and like the Renagis. Um, yeah. And then Kobashi, yeah. the, the moonsault is just such a, such an amazing visual, especially since, you know, sure. he's not supposed to be doing that. Sure. <laughs> sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and much the, you know, the, the same, like you said before, like the, the, you know, one move doesn't do it the moonsault doesn't do it so you know it has to be it has to be the burning hammer you know yeah. they tease the burning hammer kind of really reasonably early on you know and, and the announcers as well are like it's just like you know basically what the hell's he thinking like doing it it's <laughs> you know, really sudden like you probably it's probably not going to work um you know and then yeah it comes down to it like you know he'll, he'll only use it when when he has to and yeah that that old old thing, right? That the King's Road thing of like you you escalate and escalate and escalate, you know. Um, yeah, man, this is just such a match to me of like two people just like at the height of their powers, and like when I think of what's a like something that sums up the heavyweight Japanese style for me, like this will always be be a big one, and like as far as what really makes me think, like what if there's a match that made me a lifelong fan of this stuff. Like this is probably it because it was such a important part of my early fandom. So, you know, I'm not saying I compare everything to this match, but like I can always come back to this match and be like, this is why I like this stuff. 
because hmm. something, like, something like this exists. So I'm sure lots of other people have matches like that where it's just something that was very formative for them. But this is this is really that for me. So cool. So a, a nice thing to, to wrap us up. We we had a dip in the middle there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but a, a strong start and a strong end for for 2004 in the Tokyo Dome. Um, 2005. Whoa, there's some stuff to get through. Uh, <laughs> We'll but you got you got another great Noah you got another great we get Noah another show. great Noah show yes uh-huh. we do get another great Noah show we also get Ultimate Royal <laughs> it's a thing <laughs> that you can look forward to on the next episode uh, of this podcast uh, but before we do that John um, tell us about this uh, this podcast I have I should bring up the the spreadsheet now because uh, you know I know what the the posting schedule on post wrestling um, should be for these uh, these public episodes. But uh, while the the backers of the Indiegogo will be getting this in just a few short days, John, um, the general public will be hearing this episode on September. No, not September. October the sixth, oh. space year, twenty eighteen. <laughs> so, with that in mind, um, what might you have to 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 send the good people to John, what, what might be happening in, in wrestling or Macase then? Uh, um, so I would assume we're probably going to do some kind of camp for a wrestling episode. Cause it sounds like the right time frame. Um, sure. But yeah, if you don't listen to wrestling, Omakaze, that is, it's a podcast I do every single week on the voices of wrestling network. Um, every week we have different co-hosts, different guests. Um, Chris has appeared on the show before. Are they very? We have a lot of episodes that I would call evergreen, and that's one of them. Where like you know, Chris just came on and we talked about the history of the Tokyo Dome, very similar to the series, except obviously a far more condensed form. Um, you know, and so we have like some evergreen episodes like that. We just did an episode since we talked about Noah here. Um, I did an episode with uh, a guy by the name of Tanner where we talked about the history of Noah, uh, the early history from like the beginning of Noah through about um, th- through the Misawa Kobashi match of 03. And that is a series we're going to definitely pick up, um, you know, again later on and keep going through, through like when this show happened um, so that we do stuff like that. And then we also do, you know, contemporary coverage of wrestling. You know, like I said, next, by the time you hear this um, post wrestling, we'll probably be doing a show of King of for King of pro wrestling um we do a lot of new japan coverage we also cover ddt a lot because that's the other promotion i probably watch uh most often and you know we also cover wwe pay-per-views we had a very well received um i guess comedy episode on SummerSlam, but you know we'll cover some of those wwe pay-per-views and you know whatever else i mean we did an episode live from all in if you wanted to hear that, since I was at All In along with a few other people. So we did an episode from the hotel room at All In a few hours after that took place. That might be old news by now, but um, if you were interested in some live thoughts from All In. But yeah, so we, we're an, an eclectic mix, I always say. You know, we have some current coverage, some historical stuff. We do drafts. We do all sorts of stuff. So um, you can check us out. It's Wrestling Omakase. Uh, that's O-M-A-K-A-S-E. On Twitter, it's at Wrestle Omakaze, not wrestling, because wrestling would not fit. So there you go. Yeah. Branding. Yep, branding. 
and it's a difficult thing. Um, yes, and of course, you should go out and buy Eggshells Pro Wrestling at the Tokyo Dome if you haven't already. Yes. Um, and... Great book, fantastic book. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, and uh, yes, you can get me on Twitter at ReasonJP and look forward to our next episode, 2005. Our first repeat guest uh, will be on the next episode as uh, Matt Charlton, my brother, uh, joins us uh, to talk about that show. And it's already in the can. It's the longest episode of this podcast that there's been. And um, that's mainly, it's mainly actually positive stuff drunk. So I think we go into a lot of detail about Kensuke Sasaki and, and uh, Sasaki and Kobashi in that, in that, in that episode. Um, Fantastic we, match. We try not, we do actually look at ultimate Royal uh, in, in the next episode, <laughs> but uh, we try not to link. Thank you. Can we look at a car crash for so long? For you so know? Long. Exactly. Yeah. Have one, have one of your own. I think. Um, okay, good. So uh, thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Bye.